0: Please turn with me. I'll be reading from the ESV. Um, When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do you... Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women... Will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him.
1: Thanks, Louise, uh, for serving us with uh, that prayer and uh, reading scripture. Um, we're going to have um, a guest speak to us today. Uh, so I'll just invite up uh, Clement, if you could. Uh, just warmly welcome him with some yeah, with an applause. Um, we've been really encouraged and blessed to have uh, just this friendship and partnership with Grace Point. Um, you know they've been sending um, yeah just great brothers our way to 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 preach and to share God's word with us. Um, and as always, uh, I just would like to interview Clement very briefly um, so we can get to know him before he before he speaks to us. Uh, so Clement. Just a couple of questions. Could you uh, start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Just some basics, uh, background, family, upbringing?
2: Testing. One, two, one, two. Cool. Excellent. Uh, So, hi, guys. My name is Clement. Uh, I am a ministry apprentice at Grace Point Presbyterian Church. I used to work as a high school teacher. Uh, but then like a year ago, um, well, I've been wrestling with the calling of ministry for some time. And uh, last year, I decided to um, yeah, uh, heed to God's calling uh, to go into full-time ministry. I'm currently engaged. Uh, so due to wed in January as well to my lovely fiance, Rebecca. Uh, she wanted to come today, but like she couldn't make it, so it's fine. Uh, and my personally, uh, any, I am more of a cat person. Uh, anyone cat people here? Well that's quite unfortunate. I might, I might as well just leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's just like a little bit about me. Uh, I'm born in Hong Kong as well. I came to Australia um 2009 and I studied here. Um yeah. And yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Um you kind of touched briefly uh, on just your journey into ministry. Mm-hmm. But would you mind telling us a little bit more about you know so, so some of that journey and you know the ways yep. that God might have convicted you to yeah. You know.
2: Yeah, um, so I wasn't born in a Christian family. So I was raised in Hong Kong. And it was was very interesting that uh, by God's providence, my parents sent me to a Christian school nevertheless. Um, But when I came to Australia, I went to a selective school, you know, it was like, oh, academic, who cares?
1: Um, And
2: uh, thankfully, like some of my friends started bringing me to church. Um, Didn't really like follow through. For me, it was just there to hang out with my buddies as well. But over time, uh, long story short, I was in a relationship, and I was unfaithful. Uh, and basically, that led me to wrestle for years this guilt and, like, shame that I felt. And when my cousin brought me to Grace Point, um, I, I, that was, like, the last straw for me. That was, like, oh, like if anything's not going to work, I'm going to go to church again. I'm going to be a Christian, and that way I can feel better about myself. And I think, over time, the Lord has been quite gracious in disciplining me and reminding me that, ultimately, you can't really make up for all the things that you've done. But ultimately, that is one of the reasons why Christ came. He came to die and take on the wrath that you deserve. And so, ultimately, I came to realize this amazing truth that salvation is by grace through faith. It truly is. It's not something that I can earn by any given way. And uh, over time, it was just being um, a blessing to be able to truly... Let go of trying to work for my own salvation and really just trust in what Jesus has done. And over the years, uh, wrestling with this particular calling because uh, in my heart, I grew for a passion of ministry, especially that I have a heart for the youth and really want to see them grow in the gospel. But um, that required sacrifice. That required a risk because I was working a full-time job. My parents are often just hesitant with this idea of me going to ministry. Uh, I had to really wrestle with that idea of, oh, but if I... Oh, well, I'm working in a Christian school. I'm doing Christian ministry, so as long as I get that and also I get paid, it should be fine. Uh, But over time, the Lord forced me to face my own insecurities and, again, my own um, idolatry of security and money. And over time, the Lord really had to remove that idol from my heart, allow me to say, look, ultimately, there's nothing else that I would love to do than to preach the gospel to the nations and the generations. So... That's where I'm at right now, doing my apprenticeship first year. Um, never know where the pastors will say, Clement, you're not, you're not up for it. Boom, gone. Um, but at the same time, I'm looking forward to finishing off my second year in the future and just, yeah, like moving forward into full time ministry if God willing. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I'm really encouraged to hear. It basically, was a testimony of uh, oh, how God's yeah. been working in your life. <laughs> um, will you guys join me as we. Can I just pray for you, Clement, before you speak today? Yeah. Uh, Father God, we uh, thank you for the gospel. Uh, Thank you that um, all of us here today have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. Um, That's not of our own doing. That's by your mercy, because you love us. So We thank you for uh, just that comforting uh, reality in the gospel. I pray for uh, our brother Clement today as he speaks. Lord, I just ask that uh, you would use everything that you've done in his life from his uh, life experiences, his failures, his, his successes, um, just a story of how you've been working in him uh, to bring him to a place where he can speak with conviction and clarity uh, through this text in Esther 4, uh, so that we together as your people would actually hear from you, would hear your voice through your word through this brother. Uh, we pray that uh, you'd fill him with your spirit lead all of us as he speaks to us. In word, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
2: Thank you. So church, how about we um, bow in prayer once again uh, before the preaching of the word. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you with humble hearts. Uh, let today be about worship. Let it be all about your glory. And so even as we hear from your word, may your word accomplish the purpose you have ordained it to do, to cut through our hearts, to remove idols, and to remove barriers to worship and loving you, and to be able to wholeheartedly depend on you. May your word transform us and to live lives that glorify you, Lord, and bring full joy in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when it comes to making decisions, it is not as straightforward as we like it to be. You know, some are easy, and yet some decisions are actually quite hard and quite difficult. Like, imagine, for example, you are part of a company, and you are involved in a shady deal. You have two choices. One, to take that deal, but risk losing your reputation. Or the other, which is to not take that deal, but risk losing your company. What would you choose? Or imagine being stuck in a job where to stay would impact on your health, but to leave will mean losing your only source of income. You see, there are many things in which we are forced to make decisions, and the question that we have to ask ourselves is, which choice are we meant to make? Because all of us in this room, mind you, we want to make the right choice. We want to avoid taking risks, and we want to make sure that our decisions always lead to the best outcome. And so. How are we supposed to make decisions in situations where the right or wrong is not that clear? Or how do we find the strength to make decisions when we know that the outcome is going to lead to hardship, even if it is the right thing to do? And so as we come to the fourth chapter of the book of Esther, one of the characters in the story is faced with a very difficult situation. And so as we come to the passage this morning, we'll be looking at the following things. We'll be looking at the despair that our characters felt, We'll be looking at the dilemma that our characters faced. And last but not least, we'll be looking at the decisions that the characters have made as well. Okay? So despair, dilemma, and decision. And so through the book of Esther, my prayer is that God may show us how we can trust in Him in difficulties, knowing that all outcomes are in His hands. To trust in Him in difficulties, knowing that all outcomes are in His hands. So, come with me to point one, uh, despair. As we begin with the portion of the story of Esther, we notice that from the hearing of the word, the chapter begins in a very emotional time. Now, at this point of the biblical narrative, the Jews were under Persian rule. And I would encourage you guys to take some time to read a few chapters before. But from chapter three, we learn that there was a plot. A plot to wipe out all the Jews in the Persian Empire. And this sort of started off with Mordecai, uh, when Mordecai, the cousin of Esther, the main character, refused to bow down to one of the king's most esteemed officials, you know, Haman. And Haman, being the self-absorbed person that he was, he wants to retaliate. And so he decided to kill all the Jews, or at least like create a plot to kill all the Jews within the Persian Empire. All of Mordecai's people, the enemy, uh, uh, his enemy, they will be destroyed. And so the passage was read out to us just then, and if we sift through verses 1 to 3, we can see that there are three reactions that stand out. To begin with, we have Mordecai's reaction. We can see that from verse 1 to 2, when Mordecai found out about the plot to destroy the Jews, he was in despair. If you think about it, it was sort of his fault in a way. You know, like Some of you guys might be thinking, Mordecai, dude, if you had just swallowed your pride, if you just bow down to Haman, if you just lay low, don't do anything, don't do anything to like, rebel against him, maybe all things would have been fine. But yet, you have just given Haman the excuse to destroy all of your people. And so you, you and I know that when we make mistakes, we want to fix it. And so that's what Mordecai tried to do. He put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went all the way to the king's palace. But unfortunately for him, the law of the land did not permit him to enter the king's gate, since he was wearing sackcloth. You know, like, apparently his appearance, like, it's just so appalling to look at that it's not appropriate for court etiquette at the time. And so, they're not going to waste time hearing someone wearing, like, shaggy clothes, right? And that's the culture of that day. And so, right now, Mordecai doesn't seem to have much hope. And so, next we have the reaction of the Jews. Verse 3 tells us that the bad news traveled fast, and it wasn't long until the Jewish community found out about this plot as well. And you can imagine again how terrifying and hopeless the situation is. You know, they've spent years again laying low, trying to make sure they don't stand out, trying to blend into society, all for their entire existence to hang in the balance. For them, they can only respond in the same way as well. Despair. And you know, the reactions of the characters really help us reflect on our own responses, right? Like, most of us, uh, if not all of us, would have faced a difficult situation. And how would we react, mostly? Well, perhaps in some cases, uh, the situation can be so overwhelming that it makes us want to run away. Or, in other cases, um, you know, like, especially if we have the power to change it, we'll try to take matters into our own hands, and we'll try to do something about it. Or, And the circumstances are so difficult that it really, we can't even do anything about it. Nothing can change. It leaves us paralyzed on the spot. We can't even move forward. We can't even move back. We're just stuck in the same position and we're just despairing over and over again. Ever been in those situations before? Perhaps in those moments, what we need is a savior. Someone who had the power to rescue us from that predicament. Which brings us to our next question, because that's what the Jews needed, someone who had the power to really rescue them from this plot. And so, we have to ask, what about Esther's reaction? What is Esther doing at this point, right? Now, if you've read chapter 2, you will know that she was made queen, and she's now living in the royal palace. Well, you know, like, when I was young, you know, um, I know that if I ask dad for something, and he doesn't do what I ask him to do, you know what I'll do? I will speak to his queen, mom, right? I know that if I talk to mom and ask her to like speak a good word for me, she will be able to sway his decision. He will be able to change his mind and do what I ask him to do. So of course I'm going to take advantage of that, right? And it's the same thing as well with like the Jews, so and Mordecai. Mordecai knew Esther; she is queen. Perhaps she is in a position where she can sway the king. You know, after all, she is the closest to him technically, and perhaps she has great influence over him. And so at this point, um, we'll notice as well, interestingly enough, Esther had no clue what was going on. She had been isolated from the rest of Persian society, and so Mordecai had to bring her up to speed. And if you come with me to verse 8, you will notice what it says, and apologies, I'm going to read off from the NIV version. He also gave the attendant a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation. Which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. So after he brought her up to speed, Mordecai instructed Esther to do the following to go to the king's presence and to beg for mercy and plead for her people. Only the king at this point had the power to overturn his decree, yet only. Esther, perhaps, would be their final hope at this situation. But yet, as we come to point two, we'll notice that it's not really as straightforward as we hope. And Esther is faced with a very difficult dilemma. So come with me to point two, the dilemma. And as I mentioned before, we will assume that a fairly straightforward decision, you know, Esther, queen, king, she will be able to influence him in any sort of way. But the chances of success wasn't as high as we think. Come with me to verses 9 to 11. Verses 9 to 11 reads, Hatak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And then she, Esther, instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends. The golden scepter to them and spare their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. And so let me highlight the three reasons as to why the odds were stacked up against Esther at this point. One, by Persian law, no one was allowed to approach the king unless they were summoned. In fact, according to the ancient historian Herodotus, the proper protocol would have been to request an audience with the king, whoever you are, and to wait for his invitation. And it's very interesting, right? Like I was researching this. Only seven men, only seven men in the king's court is allowed to visit the king whenever they want, unannounced. Right? These guys are, you know, the king's homies in a way, you will say. Like they were permitted to see him anytime they want, unless, for special, uh, unless in certain circumstances, right? And if you're not one of the seven, the only way for you to be able to be spared, if you do visit the king, was for him to extend a golden scepter towards you and spare your life. And this is weird, right? Like It would be like, most of you guys, or at least some of you guys are married, it would be like a husband telling his friends, hey, dudes, you, get, you guys can come over to my house anytime you want, just hang out and chill. a uh, uh, Sweetie, by the way, can you schedule in a 9 o'clock appointment with me? Like, uh, We'll grab coffee afterwards then. like, It's a bit weird, right? And so that's one of the reasons why the odds were stacked up against her. The second reason was that the king may no longer desire her as much as he used to. We know from chapter two that out of all the ladies in the king's harem, Esther was chosen to be queen. So perhaps, maybe, maybe, there was a shred of hope for Esther. You know, by her looks, by her appearance, she will be able to bypass that protocol and enter the king's presence. But what Esther noted was, it's been thirty days since she has last been summoned by him. In other words, the king has seen zoned her for an entire month. Clearly, the spark that was there. No longer there anymore. Her desire for her is ice cold. And so, there was no chance of success, or at least there's a really, really slim chance of success there. But that was sort of gone already, right? But then there is one final reason that was not really explicitly mentioned in the text. To go to the king and to beg on behalf of the Jews would have meant that Esther had to reveal who she really was. You know, up to this point in the story, Esther had been laying low as well. She never told a single soul that she was a Jew, right? Maybe like internally she believed that she's still part of the Jewish community, but externally, no one knew. None of the court officials knew. Only Mordecai knew that she was a Jew. And if you think about it, if you know much about the Jewish tradition in terms of their seriousness when it comes to faithfulness to the Lord and marrying within the Jewish community, her marriage with a pagan king is already quite questionable. And so all of these um, out, so all these like, factors are odds that are stacked up against her. And so to approach the a king uninvited, to approach him without knowing whether or not he still fancies her, and on top of that having to possibly reveal that she was a Jew, that was a suicide mission. There was no guarantee that she would survive. There was no guarantee that she would succeed in any given way. And so, Esther is faced with a dilemma. On the one hand, she can actually choose to sever her identity as a Jew with her people and just trust that the empire will protect her somehow, right? You know, like she could have said to Mordecai, like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, who, who are you? Me, me. No, you're a Jew. I'm not a Jew. Yeah, and who are you? you are no, I don't even know who you are. She could have easily said that. So that was her first choice. Or she can choose. To identify with her people and to actually risk her life with no chances or at least no semblance of success whatsoever. And this is a very, very difficult thing because all this time she's been trying to protect her life, she's prone to keep things under wraps, but all her hard work will crumble in an instant as a result. Now, Brothers and sisters, maybe when it comes to making decisions, we also resonate with Esther a little bit. Realistically, I don't think that all of us have the fate of Australia on our shoulders, so maybe like not to that extent, right? But maybe currently we're facing a difficult decision and we're struggling as well. But perhaps like in those moments where we have to slow down and we have to reflect, maybe one of the reasons why we find it hard to make difficult decisions is because. We want the most enjoyable, we want the most pleasant, and we want the most hassle-free outcome. You know, oh, if I got the right job, then I wouldn't have to like, stress all the time. Like, I should have chosen the right job. Or if I dated and married the right person, we wouldn't be arguing all this time. I don't know why I did that. Oh, if I sent my kids to the right school, maybe they will grow up being more successful. Or if I had gone to the right church, I would have fit in straight away. Most of us have had these thoughts, and so we become extra cautious when we make decisions. We want to ensure that the outcomes or the choices that we make, they are going to be as good as they get. But what we need to do is we really need to sit down and reflect on our hearts. We need to think that if all, or at least we assume that if all our decisions are good and godly, we would avoid all sort of pain, all sort of suffering, all sort of difficulties. And so perhaps we need to acknowledge that we're more driven by self-centeredness than we realize. And the reality is, there are many circumstances that we face where, again, um, there are no clear right and wrong answers. Or, uh, even if there were, no matter how good, no matter how godly your decisions are, the outcome may mean that we have to face some sort of stress, some sort of difficulty, and some sort of pain. And I'm sure all of us in this room, generally want to make a choice that best honors God and best glorifies Him. And so as Christians, what do we do? We, we pray long and hard. We speak to godly mentors. We talk to our brothers and sisters who know us. And we ask, hey, dude, what do you think about this? And we pray and we read the scriptures. We seek counsel. And mind you, all of these things are good. But perhaps if you're like me, I, I, well, speaking for myself, when I was like deciding on whether or not I will quit my job and go into ministry, I was analyzing every single decision. This outcome might lead to this, this outcome might lead to that. I was analyzing every decision, second-guessing myself, always trying to think, am I going to make the right choice? And so even though in my heart, at least on the surface level, I seem to be wanting to worship and to glorify God, I find myself more paralyzed by anxiousness and indecision. And so, ultimately, we all want to glorify God, but yet, why is this so hard? It's hard because, ultimately, we are uncertain about our outcomes. So, if that is you as well, what a blessing it is that God wants us to be strengthened by his word today. And he knows exactly what we need to hear. So, come, to, uh, come with me to our final point as we analyze Esther's decision. So in order to make a decision, Mordecai gave Esther exactly what she needed to hear. Uh, If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to verses 12 to 14 with me. And verses 12 to 14 read, When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, uh, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai presented a challenge that Esther needed to hear at that point, that ultimately she cannot avoid being impacted by this event regardless of what choice that she makes. Esther may be queen, but she really can't count on being queen to protect her from the outcome of this situation. She is a Jew at the end of the day. Her identity, her destiny is going to be tied with her people, whether she likes it or not. And so, Mordecai, perhaps he's implying that regardless of what the outcome is, remaining silent for Esther is going to be worse than death. It will mean a complete and final separation from her family, and it will also mean a direct severing of what gives her meaning and purpose. Yet at the end of verse 14 came with the most crucial encouragement whatsoever. Mordecai basically says, perhaps Esther, you are queen, and that is no accident. Perhaps you are in this position because there was a divine purpose. You know, at this point, maybe something clicked for Mordecai. Even though Mordecai is, if you read uh, the verses, you'll know that Mordecai is Esther's cousin. But technically, he has been raising her like a parent. And so imagine seeing your precious daughter taken off by the soldiers into the king's harem, not knowing whether or not you'll see her ever again. So imagine agonizing every day, like walking back and forth from the gates, thinking, what's happening to Esther? What's happening to my daughter? What is she forced to do? What questionable things is she forced to do that would be an impediment to her identity? But yet, with no certainty whatsoever whether or not he made the right decision, Mordecai realized that Esther was chosen to be queen despite all circumstances. And maybe Esther was appointed queen because during a time where her people needed her the most, she would be in a position to act. And brothers and sisters, let's let's not miss how important this is. Because for Mordecai to believe that there is a meaningful course of history means that there is someone who directs that course of history. Let me say that again. If there is a meaningful course of history, if there is purpose, if there is meaning, it means that there is someone who directs that course of history. Someone who will direct all things according to his will and purpose works through imperfect people like Mordecai and Esther so that his purposes will be fulfilled. You see, even though the chapter was silent and made no mention of him whatsoever, we can be certain and confident that the one who appointed Esther was not the king at the end of the day. No. The one who appointed Esther as queen was none other than God Himself. So being faced with a difficult situation and being stuck in the dilemma, you and I, along with Esther, needed to hear that in God's world there is no such thing as a coincidence. In God's world, there is no such thing as a coincidence. God reminds us in Proverbs chapter 16, verses 9, right? In his Hearts, the humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And from the text, it may seem as though this was precisely what Esther needed to hear. Have a look at verses 15 to 17. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And hear this: "If I perish, I perish." Here was Esther's decision. She will act in solidarity with her people by fasting and pleading on the king on her behalf. Ultimately, in the face of despair, she chose to take the risk and basically follow along and save the Jews, even if it means risking life. And this is amazing. Because if you're like me, when we're faced with choices, we want to know what's God's will. God, is it your will that I choose this particular pathway or choose this particular person? We, we do that, right? We pray. We ask for God's will. But I guess when we look at Esther, it's very interesting, right? Read ahead and you guys know. Read ahead of Esther and you know, oh, look, why stress? We read ahead and Esther, she'll be fine. She went in before the king. like She, she pleaded to him. The king listened to her. She'll be fine. Like, there's no reason to be worried. But get this. We may know that she's gonna be fine. But Esther didn't. Esther had no clue. Esther had no sign whatsoever that things are going to go her way. There was no stars that align in the sky, no tongues of flame that appeared on her forehead, no voice from heaven saying, Hey, you got this. Nothing. No sign whatsoever. But yet, despite that, Esther decided to entrust the outcome to the hands of an invisible God. We can see that in her final declaration, right? Seriously, this is amazing. If I perish, I perish. Knowing that the outcome is in the Lord's hands gave Esther the strength to have faith in difficulties. And so just as Esther needed to hear Mordecai's challenge and encouragement, we too desperately need to hear this glorious truth. All outcomes. All outcomes in our lives are in the hands of our Heavenly Father, who knows what's best for us. And even though at times God may seem silent, we can trust that God is not absent in our lives. But He's always active, He is gracious, and He is guiding and leading our every single step along the way. And where do we get that sure sign? Esther didn't have that sign, but where do we get that sure sign, right? We get that sure sign through our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus. Think about it. Unlike Esther, Jesus lived a perfectly simple life. Oh, so it's in this life. Sorry. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Unlike Esther, Jesus wasn't just risking his life, but he was called to lay it down. Unlike Esther, Jesus knew the outcome of his decision means certain death. Unlike Esther, Jesus was taking on the full force of God's wrath on our behalf. And this weight is so much that in the garden of Gethsemane, the weight of the decision was so great on him that it crushed him and that he sweated drops of blood. But yet, the Lord Jesus also obeyed the divine calling of God, declaring, yet not my will, but your will be done. So to the world, an innocent man died a very meaningless death in the hands of pagans but by God's sovereignty and purpose one man's death one man's sacrifice resulted in the salvation of many by the power of God he was raised to life conquering death and now is reigning supreme at God's right hand brothers and sisters so are you in a situation where you're just anxious about the future are you worried about the intricate details of your life not knowing whether or not you have made the right choices so far do you find in- Situations trying to ask God to give you a sign, like a, like a sign in the sky, but having no clear response whatsoever. Here's something that I want you guys to walk away today today. Jesus is the declaration from God that he is the Lord over all outcomes. His plan, the promise of full reconciliation, the promise of full restoration to the world, the promise of redeeming everything... Uh, redeeming us from the brokenness of sin, saving us from his wrath, all of it he will bring it to pass. What he proposed, he will accomplish it by his will. So, knowing that all outcomes are in God's hands means that we can trust that he will redeem our mistakes in the past. Knowing that all outcomes are in God's hands means that we no longer need to be paralyzed with indecision and we can entrust our future careers, our future marriages, the singleness perhaps, or even just our kids, we can entrust all things into His hands. Knowing that all outcomes are in God's hands means that we can trust that where we are at present, the families that we're in, the jobs that we're in, the church that we're in, all of those things are not by accident and that God has placed us here for a particular reason. Ultimately, ultimately, The Lord promises that in all situations, He is working to make us more and more like Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, what are we called to do is not agonize over God's plans for our lives, but to pursue faithfulness and obedience in all things, even if the present outcome is uncertain. And hopefully, we will have the courage and the faith, by God's Spirit, we will have the courage and the faith to declare with Esther, if we perish, we perish, Because all outcomes are in the Lord's hands. And so, uh, just to close, here are some things to reflect on. Firstly, when facing difficult circumstances, how do you tend to respond? Do you tend to run away and avoid facing that situation altogether? Uh, Do you tend to become paralyzed with indecision and second-guessing everything that you do? Or do you tend to take matters into your own hands and attempt to make decisions on the basis of your own wisdom and understanding? Have a think about that. Have a reflection. And then, second thing to think about, what desires or fears often keep you from choosing faithfulness, especially in difficult circumstances? In other words, what desires or fears keep you from trusting in God, even in difficult decisions? Is it your worry that you will be judged by others by making the wrong choice? Is it by fear, by fear because you have worried that you'll lose your comforts and your securities, Or is it a concern that God doesn't really know what you truly want? Last but not least, in light of God's love for us and the sovereignty over all things, what does pursuing faithfulness mean in your context? So, are you currently faced with a difficult situation? Perhaps it may mean walking away from a job that encourages you to do questionable things, trusting that God will supply all your needs. Perhaps it may mean putting off our fears and stepping out in faith by committing ourselves to the partner we're called to marry. Perhaps it may mean standing firm and boldly declaring our faith, even if it means being faced with persecution, hardship. Trust that in all situations that we are in, all outcomes are in the Lord's hands, and he will use everything that we do, no matter how difficult it is, to bring glory to him. And so, church, may you rejoin in prayer and ask that the Lord seal these truths into our hearts today. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, we come before you and we praise you for the wonderful privilege it is to be able to hear your word being preached. Father, many of us are in perhaps situations where we're faced with difficult circumstances and decisions. Lord, Heavenly Father, we, we admit that in our pride, in our fear, in our shame, in our guilt, we are often just paralyzed and we're anxious about our lives in general. But yet, Lord, Father, you've reminded us today that you are a God who loves us dearly and you are a God whom all outcomes in our lives are in your hand. And you've shown us clearly through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that what seemingly be a meaningless death brought salvation to men. And if that's the case, Lord, Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you may teach us to trust you in all circumstances, to have the boldness and the courage to stand firm, to make difficult choices, even if it means losing our comfort and our security. So that we too, like Esther, are able to declare to a world that needs to hear this, if we perish, we perish. Knowing, Lord, that ultimately all outcomes are in your hands. We praise you, Heavenly Father, and we pray all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who reigns eternally in heaven, and whom ultimately all authority is in his hand. Amen.